Well, we're reading, uh, as we continue in our journey through 1 Corinthians, we're reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So you might want to open that up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you uh, don't have your Bible or your app with you, you can, of course, read uh, on the screen behind me as well. So there Paul continues and he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? After all, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ, Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames." Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Good morning, church. It's good to be here with all of you. And um, before I get launched into the sermon, uh, I realize I could have done something a bit better in my slides, and that is just outline the passage. And so for those of you who like to take notes or like to see the structure, uh, in this chapter, this is roughly how I've divided it. Verses 1 to 4 is Paul's confrontation. 
Verses 5 to 15 is Paul's lecture to the Corinthians. Verses 16 and 17 is Paul's reminder to the Corinthians. And then 18 to 23 is his conclusion and summary. Awesome. I want to start with a question. Have you ever had a foolish contest with a friend or family member? I definitely have. I have uh, two siblings, a brother and a sister. They are a year and a half younger than I am, which does mean that they're twins. And um, one of our favorite holiday destinations used to be the beach, and the other one used to be my granddad's farm. And both of those were far length... English. It was a far distance to drive. The one eight hours and the other one five And so the biggest question we had was, how are we going to pass this time without it being boring? Uh, So we play games, we do this, we do that, uh, and inevitably we'd come to a game of whose is better. We'd pick a topic and then we'd discuss the topic, give our best answers, and then talk about whose was better. And so a couple of these questions that we discussed in in the back seat was, uh, which superpower? is the best superpower. Whose favorite rugby player was the best rugby player? And of course, this is real rugby. This was rugby union. Uh, Whose favorite food was the yummiest? Whose dream house was the best? And I'd like to let you know, mine had a slide from the fourth story into the pool, so I definitely won that one. Uh, And then on one occasion when we were going to the beach, The question was, if there was a tsunami, how would you escape it? Uh, And so this was usually fun and games. We'd play around and you'd always come back with a better one and a better one. And on one such occasion, the the upping one another ended up in arguments and tears. We couldn't agree and choose whose was better and we wouldn't back down. And so we had a big argument in the back seats and it became a whole car ordeal when Mum and Dad, who's sitting in the audience, would uh, turn over and say, don't make me come back there. (laughs) And that's exactly what we have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. No, Paul's not taking the Corinthians on a beach trip, but he is telling the foolish and childish Corinthians to stop the silly popularity contests that they had going on among themselves. And so, it starts off pretty mean. Paul just lays into them straight away. He confronts them head on, and he calls them people who are not led by the Spirit, people who are worldly, people who are infants, and people who are mere humans. Those are pretty rough labels. I mean, just think about going up to someone after this service and calling them someone who's not walking in step with the Spirit. They're really childish and that they are mere humans uh, and don't have godly wisdom. Um, I suspect you won't get uh, a a compliment paid back to you. And uh, I also suspect that you might need Zoe or the other paramedic services to help you. 
So Paul really confronts the Corinthians here. He doesn't pull his punches. And so we need to ask ourselves another question this morning. Are there any brothers and sisters in the faith that you have a tiff with? Someone that you are prone to argue with, to fight with about something that is small and minor? Are there people that you have disagreements about just because this or that? Well, God is calling us very clearly this morning from this passage that we need to forgive them and stand united as his church. Will you forgive them for their offense? Did Christ not forgive you for your offense against him? Was your offense against Christ trivial or minor? If not, why won't you forgive your brother or sister a minor offense, a small, trivial matter? We are the church, the body of Christ. We cannot be divided by these small and trivial things. And Paul says, like any good parent tells two kids that are fighting, stop complaining, give your brother a hug, and I don't want to hear anything else. And so after Paul confronts their childish behavior, Paul starts to lecture them about what it actually means to be God's workers. I mean, just imagine you're in the Corinthian church and a piper, uh, a, a piper <laughs> an elder pipes up <laughs> and says, Hear, hear, Paul is the super apostle. Yes, he was not even a disciple, yet God gave him the ministry of apostleship. And then another rudely interrupts, You idiot, Paul didn't even speak properly. He had no rhetoric, there was no style, and his debating was, well, pathetic. Now, Apollos, he's a different story. He's a true apostle. Again, another, what? Are you daft? I know what the answer is. I've been to Sunday school. Jesus, Jesus is the answer. It's not Apollos, it's not Paul, it's Jesus. And in the midst of this quarreling and fighting within the church, they open Paul's Paul's letter, (laughs) and they read these words. Who are these amazing super apostle preachers? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Verse 5. They are servants merely obeying God and completing their task. They plant and water seeds like humble farmers. They aren't anything. Only God is anything. They have one purpose. They're on the same team. They are co-workers in God's service for the Corinthians themselves. So to summarize, who are we, Paul says? We are nothing. Nothing special, nothing glamorous, and certainly nothing worth fighting about. We are basic field workers 
And then after the field analogy, Paul moves on about a building analogy where he says, I laid a foundation as a wise master builder. Which actually, when you think about it, seems a little bit subject, a little bit suspicious. Three verses earlier, Paul said, we are nothing. And now Paul says, I am a master builder. Surely a master builder is someone that the Corinthians could boast about. But we're missing the start of verse 10. And it says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a master builder. And then again, there is only one foundation, and that foundation is Christ. You see, God's grace is always at play. There is not a moment in our lives where God's grace is not in play. And the author, Jeremy Bridges, says this very nicely. Our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And our best days are never so good that they are beyond the need of God's grace. Paul says the same thing a bit differently in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. By God's grace, we are saved, and it is by God's grace that we build and we continue the race. And so, Paul tells the Corinthians, it is by grace that they build and that they build on Christ, but he also tells them that they need to be building with quality materials. And he says, for when the judgment day comes, every worker's work will be tested and only quality building materials will survive the flames. The wood, the hay and the straw will be burnt up by the flames. Only the gold, the silver and the precious stones will last. Paul warns the Corinthians that the last few years of building They've been building with immaturity, with foolishness, with division, and with all these weak materials that will be burnt away by the flames. So the question for us this morning again is, what are we building with here at RCRC, in our ministries, in our small groups? Are we building with unity or with disunity? What about our lives? How are we building our marriages, our studies, our work, and our ministries that we are involved in? Are we building with humility or with pride? Are we building with love or are we building out of obligation? Are we building with joy and peace or with grumbling and complaining? Are we building with our prayers and reliance on God or through our own self-sufficiency? Are we building with self-control or with impulsiveness? Are we building with the mind of Christ or with the mind 
of the world. And the lovely lady earlier this morning reminded me, no matter what we're building with or how good they are, all of those can be good and you can become moralistic, but are you building on the foundation of Christ? Because otherwise, even building with love, with humility, with pride, all of it is wasted. It's not in this chapter, but in this letter to the Corinthian church, Paul addresses issue after issue after issue. He talks about how they are divided by their arrogant pride in their human leaders, how there's sexual immorality and adultery that would even shame the pagans of their time, that they take each other to court and sue one another, Definitely not one of the one another's that Christ calls us to do. They get drunk on the wine of the Lord's Supper. They participate in eating food sacrificed to idols. Not that the food defiles them, but their wavering alliance to God. And above all, they have the problem of pride and arrogance where they boast in their wisdom. They boast in their spiritual gifts. They boast in their super apostles. And they boast in the freedom they have to do whatever they please. Could you imagine walking into a church like this on a Sunday where you see all of those things at play on during the service, after the service? I don't know how many of us would return to that church the next service or whether or not we'd even call it a legitimate church. And yet, Paul's language is not just rebuke and condemnation. No, Paul actually opens his letter with these words. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ and called to be his holy people. Paul has labored for his children. He's labored for this church. And so he doesn't just look at their immaturity, cut them off and move on. No. He confronts their sin. He rebukes their immaturity. And then he points them to Christ again and again and again. And he reminds them of their new identity. And he calls them to walk in that new identity. And that is exactly what we find in verse 16 as a reminder. Uh, Did I go too far? No, there we go. A reminder. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? We too are reminded this morning of our identity. We are God's temple. We are called to be the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit. We are called to be a house that is not divided. We are called to be united. We are called to build with precious materials that will survive the flames and the fire. We are called to be master builders like Paul. We are called to be field workers like Apollos, Apollo and Peter. And we are called to grow. This is what it means to be changed by God's grace. 
like the Corinthians, none of us in this room can boast in our perfection or in our goodness. Rather, we too are sinners who deserve the eternal hellfire that separates us from God. But instead, instead, Christ redeems us. He makes us living stones in his temple. He adopts us as his own. He invites us to the feast and to the table that he has prepared for us. And even though we fall and we fail and we stumble, he shows mercy and patience and kindness and long-suffering. But we need to realize that God's patience is not never-ending. In verse 17, it says that if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred. God is the master, master builder. He is building his temple out of living stones. And so he's warning the Corinthians. And Paul is telling the Corinthians to stop sinning. Do you not realize that you are destroying the temple of God? Stop being immature children who are not growing. Do you not realize that you are destroying the temple of God? Stop dividing the church over trivial matters. Do you not realize that you are destroying the temple of God? The church is God's temple, the very house of God, and no one, no one gets to defile God's house, not even so-called Christians who are playing church. In the next section, where Paul starts to get to his conclusion, uh, he warns about self-deception. But in our age, where we're full of skepticism and critical thinking, it's much easier for us when a preacher stands at the front or when we open scripture and we read that we need to be aware of the false prophets and the teachers who will mislead us from God's word. That's nearly the easy bit. What's much harder is to guard ourselves against ourselves. And so Paul warns in verse 18, do not, be, do not deceive yourselves. Who is the enemy? We are the enemy. Who is the ally of our enemy? It is the wisdom of this world. We can become so arrogant in our knowledge that we actually become ignorant of the gospel. We can become so prideful in our worldly wisdom that we can't even fathom the wisdom of God. And actually, it's much worse than that. We can get so accustomed to the world's wisdom that God's wisdom starts to sound like folly. And that's exactly the problem with this world's wisdom, is it can deceive ourselves, it can deceive others, but it can never deceive God. And we will always make our account before God. So how can we keep ourselves from being deceived by ourselves? Paul addresses this throughout his book, and the first thing he says is by believing the message that they proclaimed that brought them to salvation, a.k.a. the gospel, by living in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
by building on Christ, who is our firm foundation, by being in Christian community where we are able to confront sin, address childish behavior, and point each other to Christ every day, and by becoming fools who are wise in Christ. You see, if the Corinthians were truly wise, then Paul wouldn't have to remind them of all these things. They, wouldn't, they would already be led by God's Spirit. They would already be affirming God's message. They would already be affirming God's servants. They would already be a united church. They would already be boasting in God the Creator and not in mere created beings, human leaders. But they did none of it. They were deceived by the world's wisdom. And the sad irony of this is that they already had it all. In verse 21 to 22, we read, So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future. All are yours. Why? Because you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He has defeated death. He's defeated our sins. He is the all in all, the creator. All things are in Christ's hand. And because we are called his children, all things are ours. So, since all things are ours, Paul's message to the Corinthian church is very clear in this chapter. It's this. Corinthians, you are of Christ. Now live by his spirit and grow in maturity. Don't be wise in the world. Become a fool for God. And the same message is the message for us this morning. Redlands Christian Reformed Church, you are of Christ. Now live by his spirit and grow in maturity. Don't be wise in this age. Become a fool for God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you used Paul to write these words, not only to help the Corinthian church, but to help us. Thank you, Lord, that despite our sin, our shame, our brokenness, our divisiveness, and our immaturity. You are at work building your temple. Father, we pray and ask that we would build well, that we would build on Christ, that we would build with precious material. And Father, we pray that we would be able to be part of your beautiful and glorious temple that brings glory for all eternity. We pray this in your name. Amen.